listening to By the Well, a lectionary-based podcast for preachers recorded on the land of the Wurundjeri people. Hi everyone, I'm Sally Douglas. And I'm Howard Wallace. And this week we're looking at Trinity Sunday. The readings for, for this Sunday are in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 1 right the way through to chapter 2 verse 4, and then the psalm is Psalm 8. And then from the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 13, 11 to 13, and then Matthew 28, 16 to 20. First, we're going to turn our attention to a passage that obviously people relate to God as creator, and that is Genesis chapter 1 through to chapter 2, verse 4, one of the really great passages, poems of the Old Testament. The passage. It's really good to dive into this with you, Hal. I'm glad yes. we're doing this together. That's fine. I enjoy this passage, so I'll have to shut me up after a while. Uh, <laughs> this passage, although it's often been sort of interpreted within a, well, what we might call a sort of more modern um, view of creation, uh, it really sort of has many elements that related back to that ancient world of Israel's life and, and thinking. Um, and it has some things that are quite similar to other ancient Near Eastern creation stories, which we, we need to remember. It begins mm. with what we might call a temporal clause, although in many translations we have something like in the beginning, as though things are starting from absolutely nothing. You will notice that the, the new revised standard version, um, the review of that version, which has only just come out, changes it back to a temporal clause, when God began to create. And I think the whole thinking is not so much that this is a very beginning starting from point zero, but the gods in the ancient world created something which was life-giving out of things that were chaotic to start with. So it's not that you start with nothing, you start with something that is a mess and you create something that gives life. And the same is going on, I think, in chapter 1 of Genesis. Although there are some differences to um, those other ancient creation stories. Often they uh, talk about a battle between the hero god, the creator god, and some other force of what we might call evil, often in the form of some dragon or monster. And there's a battle that goes on, and of course the the hero creator god wins. not quite the same in this one. Here we have simply God speaking the word, which of course will become a great biblical theme in that sense. Um, If there is any old hint of of former battle things, it may well be there um, simply in the spirit hovering over the waters at that stage, but it's very, very faint um, and well in the background. There's of course... And it could be interpreted in different ways. Yes, yes. Yeah. Then we move into the six-day pattern um, that runs through um, very poetic, very ordered, which I think itself is a reflection of the whole creation process, an ordering of something um, Mm. and a regulation of it. Um, And there's one or two things created on each of the days and there's also a, a pattern that runs backwards and forwards between the two halves, if you like, of the six days. Day one corresponds to day four with light 
and day and night. Day mm. two, day five, with the waters and the air and then the animals that populate those those uh, realms. And then day six, three and day six, each of which have two creation elements in them. Um, the land and sea and vegetation created first, then later on the animals and humans uh, filling the land. And mm. um, so, if we can step back from some of the details as well, because mm. people might be some people might be coming to this um, having not engaged with biblical studies to recognise that this creation story um, obviously has huge themes running through it, and one of one of the themes is that order and the order bringing life. But the other part of that theme is that um, it is all good, like this yes, refrain yes. of yeah. goodness of creation. So it's an order that brings mm. life. And the goodness is recognised by God, and it's all things. Like it's a very expansive view, and it's quite distinct from the creation story that we receive in Genesis two. That is. Um, Usually understood from a different uh, community of writers, yes. and and so holding these t- two together, I think, and and recognizing the contrast can help mm. us to reflect theologically on creation, on God, on mm. a whole range of things. But just for people to have that kind of map, that broader mapping of of well, the two different ways of talking about the same event, so called. Um, mm. I think the way that they're put, we're meant to read them sequentially, um, although there are. Of course, disruptions and irregularities in that that sequence. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, mm. uh, and, and clearly one of them is that in the first creation story, women and men are both equally made in God's image. Mm-hmm. There's an ontological equality between yes. uh, all people, which is a profoundly significant point. And the second creation story doesn't necessarily have to be, but it can be and has been read in a very different way to um, some some New Testament writers brought from the second creation story, for example, to argue that men are created in God's image and women are not. So there's there's quite profound theological differences at particular points of the two different Genesis stories. Yes, well, I think breaching the boundaries between these two <laughs> stories. I think the second yeah. is much more interested in social issues. Um, and the first one speaking much more about the, the world around us and human place in it in general. Yeah. Um, as, you, as you noted before, you know, there's this reference to everything being good as we proceed oh. and it's part, that's part of the formula that carries one day on to the next day until oh. we get to day six when everything is said to be very good. Now, yeah. often, you know, you can sort of see this in a rather simplistic way of God sitting back and thinking, oh, I've done a really good job. Um, but it's actually more than that. It's about completion. And mm. I think this is something that we often don't notice about this whole chapter, story of creation, that the act of creation is to some extent finished at the end of day six. And then day seven, which, of course, becomes the... Uh, forerunner, if you like, of notion of of the human Sabbath, our Sundays, Uh etc. That day is marked off quite differently. There's no formula attached to that day. There's no Um. reference to day and night passing. There's no reference to it being good or it's already declared very good before that. Um, And this is the day Um. on which God rests. It's not sort of to be seen cheaply, I think, as God thinking, oh, I've done my work, <laughs> I can sit back and just enjoy it or rest as if God needs rest at that point. Um, 
But yeah. it's about that seventh day. Other creation stories in the old world finished with a God mounting his throne in his heavenly uh-huh. temple and uh-huh. being clearly sovereign over everything. And I think that's what day seven is about. It's about the sovereignty of God and recognising the sovereignty of God. And in terms of the human Sabbath, it's about us recognising ourselves as creatures of that sovereign God. Um, I also think part of that rest in our current context where so much pressure is put on people to perform or to produce, we are um, valued according to our... Uh, contribution or the amount of likes we have or what all those kind of criteria, how successful we've become rather than uh, seeing rest as an act of faithfulness and as mm. a form of resistance to to those structures of consumerism um, to, to actually recognise that we are made in the image of God and good and we are not having to prove our worth, we can rest and, no. and we are commanded to rest. Yes, and I think the rest is is a recognition of one's creatureliness, that there is God sovereign over all things. It's not all up to us, thanks be to God. (laughs) But the other side of all that, I think, is comes in the the six days before it. I mean, we shouldn't forget the the blessings that are there. Um, Although they're in terms of fertility, fill the earth, etc., the blessings of the animals back in verse 23 and then the humans in verse... 28, Mm. I think what it's pointing out there is that how we, as part of creation, are part of the act of creating. I mean, we are there. Participants. Participants, yes, of of what what God is doing. And so to put it sort of in very simple terms, we're living in days one to six. We're moving Mm. towards day seven. Mm-mm. Just before we move on to look at some of the other readings, there was just one other thing in this passage I wanted to highlight because it gets used and has been used in really destructive ways about dominion, meaning that humans have the right mm-hmm. to take. Yes. If we actually read verse 28, no matter how we interpret the word dominion, but if we read verse 28 next to verse 29, we will see that humans are called to be vegan. It's an explicit call within this primordial story and then that so are the animals. And so whatever dominion might mean, within the context of this ancient story, it is into radical nonviolence and interdependence. Um, we can talk about that more mm. another time, but yes. I think it's just really important thing to underscore before we yeah. jump over to the New Testament. Well, um, I mean, the dominion is carrying on the royal language that is there in relation to God. And so I think it's, it's a call for us to sort of see ourselves as exercising what God is, is calling us to. Yeah, in that radical non-violence. Yeah. I think just a word. Did you know you could join our Facebook group, By The Well, for extra content and discussion? Just but in the time from... Oh, sorry. Yeah, yes, right. go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> uh, just one word about Psalm 8, yeah. which is important today. I mean, I think that it could be a, quite a lovely, responsive reading within yes. the, the liturgy itself. The focus in the middle of that, it works in a sort of an hourglass form that comes down from the breadth of the heavens to the insignificance of humans in the middle and then spreading out. Mm. But it's not the insignificance of humans that is the real focus. I think it's God's care for them in that process. And again, employing royal language sort of elevates those insignificant humans to participants in God's 
creation and creative act. Yeah, it's a beautiful power of wonder. Of you know, yeah. so even though you made all of these vast things, you still care for us. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I think so. Uh, New Testament it's time. Sunday. Yes, let's talk about the New Testament, shall we? It's Trinity Sunday, and I I know people can sometimes be nervous about leading worship on Trinity Sunday. I, for one, think this is a really beautiful uh, Sunday and invites us into mystery. So the passage from Corinthians is really short. It's the benediction, 2 Corinthians 13, 11 to 13, which the, the hub of it, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So this is Paul writing a blessing for everyone, which we continue to use. And one thing that um, I learned from the very wise Jan Gray, systematic theologian, studying Trinity with her is exploring all kinds of theologians. She went on to argue that in the New Testament, it is not that clearly we find a doctrine of the Trinity, but what we find is people speaking about their experiences of God as Trinity. And I think that's quite a profound thing to flag here. So when Paul speaks in this language of the Trinity, and it's the same in the Matthew passage as well, it's not trying to step out a whole understanding, but they're speaking of their, ex- like this radical disjunction, this shock of them experiencing God coming to them in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. and then ongoing presence of the Holy Spirit, which kind of leads them to no other option but to speak of God as three and yet one. And so this blessing comes out of these ongoing shared experiences these tiny early church communities are having, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And we see this in all kinds of uh, places within the New Testament. Um, I understand why the lectionary, well, I think I understand why lectionary has chosen the Matthew passage because it has the go out and proclaim mm. um, in the name of each <clears throat> But I think there are other passages as well within the New Testament that speak of this experience of God. So I think of passages, for example, in Romans where Paul talks about through Christ people being brought into becoming children of God and the spirit uh yearning with their own internal spirit, helping them to be able to say, Abba, Father. So it's this ongoing reflection of the experience Mm. of God, which I feel like has been quite neglected often in our traditions, not just in the United Church, but in in mainstream churches, talking about what it might mean to actually believe as God as three and yet one. I think the other thing I'd want to sort of add in putting the, the Matthew passage yes. as the new te- as the gospel reading for the week is <clears throat> it's Jesus then commissioning the disciples um, yes. and I think they want to emphasize the fact that there is a oneness about all of this in the Trinity it's not as if there are three deities it's not yes. as if there are three parts of history you know, God has created something went wrong Jesus comes to fix yes. it up spirit sins is church out it's yeah. all part of a oneness of god's creative action amen exactly exactly and i think we, we get that sense in this passage of them still coming to terms with that like i love actually in this passage uh, in matthew if we move on to the matthew 28 16 to 20 um so it's usually translated so that they're on the mountain and they worshiped and some doubted but it can equally be translated they worshipped and doubted. Uh, 
so this sense of not just being nitpicky about it, but this sense of this is mystery. And and we can have these experiences of wonder and faith and worship, but also have a whole lot of questions. And we see that, of course, throughout the um, the whole biblical canon, you know, people who are called in to be prophets or called to be disciples have faith and then they mix it up or mess it up or they have doubts. You know, it is very human to have this mixture. Um, and and the other thing about this passage in Matthew, like I think, you know, some scholars would argue it's later, it's invented, it's too formulaic. Well, we don't know but again, it's still speaking to that experience, the lived experience of the this one who's been crucified, who's been executed by the state, who is raised, and who they're experiencing to bring them into union with God and through the Spirit. So this oneness, as you as you highlighted, and that sense. Um, just the other thing about this passage, I think people can read it as some kind of empire-driven colonial agenda. You know, go and make all nations have faith, but I think. We remember that it's written from the position of being a tiny minority. It's not written by the empire. There's a tiny little Jesus community. So we're starting to get hassled, to being laughed at, whose um, fact that they claim that this guy who was killed by the state as a god one is just seen as absurd. They're writing from the bottom and proclaiming mm-hmm. that everyone included, whether they're Jewish or Roman, whether they're um, women or men, whether they're slaves or free, like it's actually a radical inclusiveness rather than some kind of, uh, agenda to dominate and take over. So I think just ho- holding that nuance of the context is important yes. as well. Yes, and the mystery of it. Oh, amen. So just in the last minute or two that we have, how would how, what would you zoom in on, do you think, today, if you were preaching on Trinity Sunday? I would talk about the oneness of all and our participation in God's creative work to see ourselves as moving towards the kingdom. And you? Excellent, me. Yeah, yeah. And I, and for those who, are, just one other thing I would say is that if part of the rub against Trinity is the language that we use for Trinity, there is deeply faithful language that is not um, only anchored in male God imagery. So whether it is ground of our being, water of life, fire of truth, whether it is holy one, sacred three, there are a whole lot of rich um, beautiful ways of speaking of the mystery of our faith. And it's such a treasure that we have as Christians, which invites us beyond the old man on a cloud kind of stereotypes and into the wonder of God in community. And if we're made in God's image, as the creation story says, like theologically, if we are made in God's image and God is in community, then we are made to be ourselves and we are made to be in community. And I think that's a pretty profound gift to think about. And recognising us as God's creatures. Amen. Beloved and good. By the Well is brought to you by Pilgrim Theological College and the Uniting Church in Australia. It's produced by Adrian Jackson. Thanks for listening.